Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Submission is part of God's order of creation. Man and woman are equal in the sense that they bear God's image equally. In this partnership of two spiritually equal human beings, the man bears the primary responsibility to lead the partnership in a God-glorifying direction. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis, chapter 2, in a message titled, The Order of Creation. Now, here's Pastor Brian. As much as I had wanted to move into the third chapter... You know, I really did want to move into the third chapter, but I felt compelled, quite honestly, to go deeper into the subject of marriage. And I think, you know, as the Lord originally put the study of Genesis on my heart, it was in order that we might really address some of the vitally important issues that are being attacked and challenged so boldly in our culture today. And of course, marriage would fall under that category. So let me read you verses 18 through 24. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. As was previously mentioned, Genesis 2 is not a second and contradictory account of creation, but rather a detailed look at the sixth day of creation and specifically a look at the creation of the woman who was to be the companion of the man. We mentioned that verses 1 through 6 highlighted the seventh and final day of the creation week. Verses 7 through 17 told us a little bit about the Garden of Eden, which was man's original home, and that verses 18 through 25 dealt with the creation of the woman and the origin of marriage. We learned 
that marriage is God's institution, that it is to be held in the highest esteem and entered into with the deepest of commitments. Of course, Genesis only gives us very basic teaching on many of the vitally important issues that are dealt with in much more detail as we go further into the scriptural record. Because marriage is such an important matter with God, and as I mentioned, under such great attack today, I feel it's necessary to go beyond the basic foundational teaching and to look at more of the detailed teaching on the subject that's found in the entirety of God's Word. And so as we do that over the next few sessions together, I want to begin by looking first at the woman's role in the marriage because it was the creation of the woman that brought that relationship into being. So what is the woman's role in the marital relationship? The Bible mentions a number of things, and we'll look at many of those a bit later. But to begin, in the two classic New Testament passages on the marital relationship, the wife is told to submit to her husband. Now, this, of course, harkens back to Genesis, which, as we just read, told us that the woman was created for the man as a helper suitable to him. Now, as we go through the scriptures, there are many places where You have uh, pictures of marriage. The patriarchs, of course, would be a good example of that. There are several statements regarding marriage throughout portions of the Old Testament. There are references to the marriage relationship in the Gospels. But the specific teaching regarding the marital relationship comes to us primarily in the epistles. And so I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. It's a chapter that I think most of us are familiar with, but let's just read a couple of verses from the fifth chapter together. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So here Paul states that the woman's responsibility is to submit to the husband. Now, Paul says this also in the epistle to the Colossians. Now, the word that's translated submit is actually a military term, meaning to place oneself under the authority of another as in subordination to a superior officer. Now, this word submit has 
been greatly misunderstood, misinterpreted, misapplied. And so it's important that we understand not only what it is saying, but it's important that we understand what it is not saying. So when the Bible says that the woman is to submit to her husband, does this mean that the woman or that women in general are spiritually or mentally inferior to men? Because, of course, that has been the accusation that some have brought, and in some cases that's been the inference from the way some have conducted themselves. But is that what the biblical idea of a woman submitting means? Well, the answer is a resounding no. Let me just ask you a few questions. Is Jesus inferior to God the Father because he submits to him? If you know your theology, you would have to answer no to that question. Are church members inferior to church elders because they are called to submit to them? Again, the answer, of course, is no. Is a sergeant an inferior human being because he is to submit to a captain? Again, of course, the answer is no. Neither is the wife inferior to the husband. You see, the point is this. This whole submission thing doesn't really have anything to do with that. And it's important that if we haven't gotten there already, that we need to once and for all get that kind of thinking out of our heads. Submission is part of God's order of creation. Man and woman are equal in the sense that they bear God's image equally. And I think that we've seen that from what we've previously studied here in Genesis. In this partnership of two spiritually equal human beings, man and woman, the man bears the primary responsibility to lead the partnership in a God-glorifying direction. That's a summation of, of what the Bible teaches on the subject. The wise call to submit shows the biblical principle of male headship which is modeled after Christ being the head of the church. Now listen, this is very important. The antithesis, the very opposite of male headship, is male dominance. Male dominance has often been misinterpreted to refer to male headship Male dominance has often been defined as bringing a woman into submission, but this is the antithesis of the biblical picture of the role between the man and the woman. Male dominance is the assertion of the man's will over the woman's will, heedless of her spiritual equality, her rights, and her value. The Bible does not teach or condone in any way male dominance. It does not teach or condone in any way 
male dominance. As a matter of fact, the teaching of the New Testament flew right in the face of the views generally held at the time. Now, we hear so much today coming from our humanistic and to some extent atheistic cultural leaders. We hear so much today about how Christianity is to blame for you know, all of the problems that the world has ever had. And one of the things that's constantly being laid at the doorstep of Christianity would be the historical oppression of women and this whole idea of men dominating women. But the facts are quite different. As a matter of fact, it was the teaching of the New Testament that really revolutionized the world in this particular area. And again, the teaching of the New Testament flew right in the face of the views that were held at the time. Let me give you some examples. From the Jewish world, to the rabbis, women were servants. In fact, the rabbis taught the men to pray like this. God, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Amen. They also said things like, he who talks with a woman in public brings evil upon himself. One is not so much to greet a woman publicly. Let the words of the law be burned rather than committed to a woman. These are rabbinical sayings. If a man teaches his daughter the law, it is as though he taught her lechery. Now, remember this. The rabbis and rabbinical teaching was a distortion or a perversion of what the Old Testament itself actually said. The contention that Jesus had with the leaders of his day was not so much over what Moses did or didn't say. It was over their interpretation, or more correctly understood, their misinterpretation and misapplication of what the scriptures said. And and this is one example. This was the attitude of the Jews during the time of Christ. Amongst the Greeks, a very similar perspective. One Athenian orator and statesman said, we have courtesans, high-class prostitutes, for the sake of pleasure. We have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation And we have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and being faithful guardians for our household affairs. You know, it's interesting because so many of the humanistic thinkers of today, they want to trace our historical cultural lineage back to Greece rather than back to a Christian influence. The attitude toward women among the Athenians and the Spartans was uh, an appalling attitude. Regarding the Romans, according to Roman law, a man had absolute power over his wife and all her possessions. He could divorce her at any time for any offense whatsoever. He had full authority to chastise his wife and in some cases even to kill her. To kill his wife for a non-adulterous offense, the husband ordinarily required the consent of an extended family tribunal, but in the case of adultery, no such consent was necessary. In Roman culture, a woman was essentially the slave of a man's lower passions. 
Similar perspectives on women are still prevalent today in Islamic, Hindu, Buddhist, and animist cultures. So the reality is this, and we have to these days, unfortunately, so often as we're teaching, we have to insert a bit of an apologetic element to our teaching because there's so much antagonism and so much criticism and so many false accusations being leveled against the church and against Christianity historically. But if you go around the world today, which the world is predominantly divided into the categories that I just mentioned, the world is either influenced by the Judeo-Christian worldview, which would be a reference to the Western world, or it's influenced by Islamic, Hindu, Buddhist, or animist cultures. And, and in some rare places, you have you know, purely atheistic types of influences. But as you look around the world today, you see that these ancient attitudes toward women are still prevalent in many of these cultures. So modern anthropologists and sociologists who blame Christianity for the oppression of women are either ignorant of the facts or they are guilty of historical revisionism. I think in many cases they are guilty of historical revisionism. They are seeking to rewrite history and to paint Christianity in a bad light. The Bible elevates women to a most honorable place, and a wife submitting to her husband is God's good plan for a woman. Now, some might argue, of course you're going to say that because you're a man. And others might argue, well, of course the Bible says that because the Bible is the byproduct of a male-dominated culture. That's what you hear about the Bible today and biblical views. True. Much of the Bible was written in the context of a male-dominated culture, but this is where we see the radical difference between the Bible's teaching about women and the views universally held at the time. You see, it's so important that we understand the setting of the biblical account. Jesus and the apostles radically broke with the traditions of their day regarding women. Now, you see, we read the Bible, we read the New Testament, and we, we cannot help to some extent but read it through the lens of our own experience. So when we read about Jesus having a conversation, say, for example, with uh, the Samaritan woman at the well, that it's no big deal to us. We, we don't... It's just, okay, Jesus was having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. Now, if we understand a little bit about the cultural distinctions between Samaritans and Jews, we we might understand that there was a bit of uh, what you might call racial tension there. And so we might factor that in. But do we realize, again, that Jesus was recognized as a rabbi and the rabbis had taught that a man should never publicly speak to a woman? So Jesus is breaking with the tradition of the day. But you see, we read that, and because we don't necessarily understand that, we don't realize how radical and how revolutionary 
Jesus was in his dealings with women. Jesus publicly associated with women. He called them to be his disciples. He allowed them to serve in the ministry. This was unheard of. This did not happen. This did not happen. As a matter of fact, it was women who were first entrusted with the message of the resurrection. That was about as countercultural as you could possibly get. And if it were not true, the Bible never would have recorded it because no one in their right mind wanting to spread a new religion would make note of the fact that women were the first ones to spread the message. That just was so against the cultural grain. Paul, who is often vilified as a sexist oppressor, Paul is the one who penned the words, there is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, again, these words went entirely against the cultural grain. Paul referred to certain women as fellow workers in Christ. All of this was revolutionary for those times. As one historian put it, And I think accurately so. The birth of Jesus Christ was the turning point in the history of woman. The birth of Jesus Christ was the turning point in the history of woman. So ladies, never, ever, ever buy into the idea that it was because of the message of Jesus or the apostles that women have been oppressed. Now, Next week when we talk about the man's role, I do want to give you some, again, some historical understanding of of what happened because unfortunately, some of the church leaders later after the apostolic period, influenced by not the Bible, not Jesus, not the apostolic record, but influenced by Greek and Roman culture, began to reintroduce some of those ideas about women, some of those negative ideas. But you can't find that in the pages of Scripture. And and as you understand the cultural taboos and you see Jesus and the apostles operating in that context, again, we understand that the accusations that uh, the Christian faith promotes the oppression of women are simply not true. But... Now, back to the main subject here. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, now first of all, notice, the instruction is, is for a wife to submit not to just any man or to men in general. And of course, in some cultures, even today, a woman is to some extent to be submissive just to men in general. But it was very specific, the command that was given. Wives are to submit to their own husbands. Now, you might ask the question, well, what if I disagree with his decision? Well, you see, here's the thing. If you agree with his decision, there's really not any need to submit, is there? So submission implies, to some extent, somewhat of a disagreement.
For the month of September, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson. The current culture is enamored with things that are new, novel, or out of the ordinary. But the everyday and seemingly mundane and ordinary things of life are given hardly any thought. But what surprises can be revealed by the common things in life? In his book, God of All Things, Andrew Wilson will help you to encounter the extraordinary in the ordinary in a way that exalts Jesus and provides practical application. You'll be astonished at how everyday things can offer glimpses of the character and gospel of God. This book will move you to worship and the enjoyment of God. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.